0: Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John. I'm your host, and out here this week in Reykjavik, Iceland, I'm recording this late at night, it's dark outside, dark is back, there is a windstorm, it is raining, feels like the summer is done, but you never know, you never know here in Iceland, we might get a few more sunny days. And the main game that I'm going to talk about today also happens on a stormy, dark night. It's a game that I've been waiting for for quite a while. I've been excited about this one. It's on my short list of indie games that I was really excited about this year. I would say it's top of the list alongside Solar Ash and Sable. It is the uh, time loop based murder thriller 12 Minutes, which has proved to be more divisive than I would have expected in, in various ways and I'm interested to talk about it with you today. But before I get to that, I will um, run through a couple other games that I picked up and played this week. Last weekend, I had some grand plans to to launch myself into the second campaign of Griftlands. But it was such a, a miserable day on the weekend, on Saturday. It was really, really dark, really, really rainy, really, really cold. And so I ended up playing a bunch of other stuff instead. I actually crawled back under the covers at the start of the day and um, played, picked up my Switch and opened up Breath of the Wild. I think I had seen a couple of people tweeting about it. I mean, it's a game about which the conversation never really ends. It must be one of the, the main kind of hinge points for conversation that video games have seen over the last few years and... I mean when I opened it it was it was really, really nice experience, much more so than I was expecting even. I kinda feel like I was done with that world, even though I love it so much. But when I opened it, um my save file left me standing outside of the Gerudo town in the desert. And I kinda slipped back into it so smoothly. I was so into the uh, the art style of it and the music and the the way it looks, the way it plays and feels. Within moments of reopening the game, I was um, sand surfing across the desert and uh, summoning up my horse and then galloping up through some mountains. And even though I felt like I'd rinsed that game world for everything it had to offer, I found some Koroks straight away. And I think that in a world of that size, you've never really found anything. You've never really found everything, rather. It's like it always has more to offer. I mean, I think there are something like 900-plus Koroks, and if you just enjoy running around that world and having an excuse to look at kind of forests that you hadn't been to and plains that you hadn't been across, there's always more to find. And I found myself being sucked into the game for hours and uh, wandering the world between different regions... Revisiting the uh, stables and towns, and I'd kind of—it's been—it's been that kind of time since I originally played it that it feels new again. Um, like some of the dialogue and the characters that I'm sure I had read before felt fresh again. And so I think I might make kind of a more organised run, uh, um, going around and cleaning up some of the the late game stuff and DLC that I never really engaged with, after I beat Ganon, um, which I think is famously a little bit anticlimactic in that game. I just kind of tuned out from it and moved on to other games. I moved on to Hollow Knight straight after it, I remember. And that became my new obsession. So I am quite excited to go back and do the DLC and find out what I was missing, do some of those combat trials, do some of that treasure hunting. And um, I think that with the sequel kind of uh, showing more glimpses, At various Nintendo events It must be coming, probably I mean, if it doesn't come out late this year Then it will definitely be next year It would be amazing if it dropped in time for the holidays this year But I don't know That's a bit of a a long shot It's a bit of a dream for a lot of us, I think So in the meantime, maybe I'll just prepare by Dipping back into the game I also played the introduction to No Longer Home And uh, fully intended to play through it I think it's only a two or three hour game a kind of an autobiographical adventure game, Um, and I still plan to do that one. I also dipped into Horus, which is a game that's been recommended to me a bunch of times from various people, and I had a nice time with that one. It's like a kind of a very interestingly narrative-led pixel art platformer, in which you play a robot that is kind of uh, boxed up at the factory and sent off to your new home, which is a kind of a mansion with uh, an eccentric family living there. And I'm interested to see how Horace unfolds. It's a little basic. Um, the platforming seems a little basic, but I only played a couple of hours of it. I think it's a 15-hour a game. And so I will dip back into Horace. I've got a feeling that that one might have more to offer under the hood. And the final game that I played was actually today. My friend Kira and friend of the show, sometime guest on the show, has been wanting to play some Red Dead Online. He's been playing through the campaign of Red Dead Redemption um, for the first time, uh, which I have played half of, and I have done an episode about that game. I played a little bit of Red Dead Online, but Kieran wanted to play it, so we hopped on together and we spent two hours just running around the, the world of Red Dead Online. It's the same map as Red Dead Redemption, um, but it's opened up. like The whole map is open from the start. There are various multiplayer activities that you can engage in, We found that there are kind of flag points around the map where you can hop into different kinds of multiplayer events where you'll be grouped with a whole bunch of players. Um, There was one that was a gunfight that uh, Kieran hopped into and I didn't, and uh, he hopped out pretty quick. There was also a, a photography game where... You were supposed to photograph animals, and the best photographs win the best prizes, which sounded pretty chill and mellow until we hopped into it and realised that there were like 20 other players in the session, and they all scrambled the second that the whistle went, and it was uh, a very competitive, um, intentional multiplayer experience, which isn't what we were really after. So we ended up just riding around the landscape, getting into misadventures, exploring, exploring um, setting up a base camp, and I'm actually really looking forward to playing some more of that. I'm not a big multiplayer guy, but Red Dead Online seems really fun. It's such a big sandbox of a world that you can kind of make your own adventure there, and I'm looking forward to doing that with Kieran, actually. I've also added a few new games to the list. Uh, Fantasian Part 2 has dropped on Apple Arcade. Um, I did an episode about Fantasian Part 1. I. I enjoyed it. It's a... A kind of a very modern JRPG with a very striking visual style, and so I'm really happy that the second part is here. I'm sure that there'll be a, a time when I'm in the mood to dip into Fantasian and finish off that game. Um, Psychonauts 2 also dropped recently, I think just yesterday even, um, on Game Pass, and so I've downloaded that one. The reviews on that one seem phenomenally good. I think it's at an 87 on Metacritic, and I haven't heard a bad word about it, actually. So I'm really excited to do that. I also noticed today, just before I came on the air, that um, Fallout 4's DLC are all on sale. And that's another game, like Breath of the Wild, that I had an incredibly good time with the, uh, the solo player campaign. And so I downloaded Nuka World and the Far Harbour DLC, both for £2 each. I've heard good things about them. Some people say that Far Harbour is their favourite part of Fallout 4. So I think that now that the dust has settled on my playthrough of the main game, I'm, I'm going to dip into it again. I'm going to keep those DLC behind my ear, and there is going to be a moment I know when I really feel like an open-world game. And I'm really excited to see what they did um, after Fallout 4. I think sometimes DLC is the most refined content that you get in those kind of games. I certainly felt that way about Horizon Zero Dawn. I felt that the Frozen Wilds DLC, it's like the developers have kind of learned the ropes of making that game, and so the final thing they make is actually the the most polished. They've learned the limitations, they've learned what's fun and what isn't. Um, And so I'm hoping that the same is true of Fallout 4. Um, Before we go on to talk about 12 Minutes, I will finally mention that this show is patron-supported, If you are a first-time listener or a long-time listener who's been thinking about hopping in and supporting the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild for as little as a dollar a month, for which you'll get sale recommendations from me, an invite to the Discord server, and occasional extra episodes. So you can hop on if you'd like to support the show at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. A big thank you to my newest patron, Jason, who is at GamerJasonUK go and drop Jason a follow. Very happy to have you aboard, so thank you, Jason, and thank you very much to you if that's something that you're interested in. And with all of that said, let's move on and talk about the featured game of the episode 12 Minutes. So, 12 Minutes is a 2021 game. It came out last week on Xbox and PC. It was a Day 1 Game Pass release. It's by solo developer Luis Antonio, who is a former artist at Rockstar and Ubisoft who left those companies. He worked on The Witness before going it alone and making this game. It's published by Annapurna Interactive, usually a sign of a good game, It was a long time in development. It got the honourable mention for the Seamus McNally Grand Prize at the Independent Games Festival all the way back in 2016, so it's taken a while. And I was quite interested to read that in the last couple years of development, there was a heavy process of editing that went on when various game elements were removed to try and trim down the experience to be what Luis had in his mind, what he was envisioning for this game. And the process of editing being so important to the game does make sense because it is a very cinematic game. It is. Um, it's. kind of has a very striking top down visual style that reminded me of Hitchcock. And uh, Luis does talk about this game mostly in terms of film when it comes to the influences. It's also voiced by three Hollywood actors James McAvoy, who you might know from being. Uh, it was Professor X in one of the X-Men movies, uh, in his younger period, by Daisy Ridley from Star Wars, and also by Willem Dafoe, who I guess needs no further introduction. And the game is descri- described on Steam like this: "12 minutes is a real-time top-down interactive thriller with an accessible click-and-drag interface that blends the dreamlike tension of The Shining with the claustrophobia of Rear Window and the fragmented structure of Memento." And I can see that. All of that is true. It does have a very filmic feel to the whole thing. The set design, the detail, the music and uh, the script. It's it's uh, super cinematic. I describe it like this. An inventive, cinematic, top-down, time-loop thriller with very traditional point-and-click gameplay, for better, and sometimes for worse. And this game has had a, a, an interesting critical reaction, to. It has broadly positive reviews and it has a 78 on Metacritic from the critics, but those reviews are pretty divided between very high scores and some pretty low scores too. And I was interested to see that the user reviews for this game are a lot lower. It has 5.9 from users. Um, And the chat on Twitter has been, has been really mixed, actually. There have been people who really clicked with it, who found it to be ingenious, who found the story to be flowing. And then there are people that found it to be confusing, with um, strange puzzles and with uneven voice acting, even from that stellar cast. So it has really divided people, and there has been some discourse around the game too when it comes to things like trigger warnings and the general content of the game. Some of which I will talk later. I think I'm going to have to do a spoiler break on this game. I am going to talk about it for as long as I can, without spoilers. Um, I will say, though, that if you want to go into this game completely blind, um, it's a 12-minute cycle. It's a 12-minute time loop. And so I can talk about the mechanics, I can talk about the beginning, but if you do want to go in completely blind, you might want some of that stuff to be a surprise to you. And if that's the case, I would suggest coming back to this later. But I am going to hold off on any big plot spoilers until later in the show, and I'll be sure to flag it up when I'm about to talk about those. So this game begins when the main character arrives home from work, rides the elevator up up the building, comes out into a hallway, which has quite kind of a dramatic look to it. It looks a little bit like uh, The Shining, this corridor with this kind of maroon colour scheme and a patterned carpet. Um, and you get into your apartment, and your wife is waiting for you there, and she greets you, she has a uh, low lights, she's set the table, she has some candles lit, and she's been planning a surprise dinner. Um, but things go wrong pretty quickly. In that first loop, you're having the dinner, you're having the chat, you're about to find out what the surprise is all about, and then the doorbell rings. There is a violent home intruder who pushes his way inside, storms into the apartment, and 12 minutes later, you've been killed and you've been returned to the moment that you got home, um, and you are stuck in a time loop. The clock is ticking, your wife is in the bathroom having a shower and humming a little song. It's exactly the same as the first time that you arrived, and you have to, with that knowledge, uh, move through the time loop again and again and again. And you can uh, talk to your wife after the first one, you can try and explain to her what's happening, one of the first puzzles is that she, of course, doesn't believe you, and so you have to find something in the loop that will convince her that this story is actually true. And this game progresses um, in quite an interesting way. I really like that premise. I really like the premise of the top-down view of this claustrophobic apartment. I really like the idea of a tight time loop where you can uh, learn and change what happens in the loop and as I've said, I was really excited for this game. I've loved the trailers, and I've loved the uh, the voice acting. I loved the graphic style, and I was kind of all in on Twelve Minutes. I was really excited this game was was coming, and really excited to see it come onto Game Pass. But I'm gonna just give a little uh, small spoiler for my opinion of this game. <laughs> um, I had a lot of trouble with this one, and that began when I realised what the control scheme was. This game is a point-and-click game, pure and simple. Um, And the control scheme, which amazed me, given that it's an Xbox Game Pass uh, Day 1 exclusive, uses the left stick of the controller to control a cursor. So you don't control the character's movement directly. Um, You actually have to navigate the screen using the kind of inaccurate left stick to hover over things to manoeuvre your character around the space. Um, and when I realised that, my, my heart sank, to be honest. I immediately knew that whether or not I loved the game, I was going to find this to be clunky. It always is. Like, I feel like we've kind of established at this point that using the controller to mimic a mouse is bad. Um, and so I was very surprised by that decision. It does seem like there are more um, innovations that have taken place in games like this, which are designed for mouse, uh, to map them onto controllers in a a seamless way where perhaps items that you can interact with are illuminated, like in the game Rookie, which was not my favourite game, but it was nominated at the Game Awards. It was a a modern point-and-click. It had direct control over the character. You held down a button to um, shimmer objects that you could interact with, which gets rid of that kind of pixel-hunting problem that was kind of the the lingering main criticism of the point-and-click genre. Even if you like puzzles and you like uh, object-based puzzles, it's not fun to come to the end of a a passage of play and to really feel unsure of what you're missing and then to have to go and crawl over the screen looking for tiny objects that you might have missed. Uh, And 12 Minutes has that too. It kind of has every problem of point-and-click games Um, And it's a really unreformed point-and-click game. So you can collect objects in the apartment, you can pick up, for example, mugs, you can pick up cutlery, you can uh, sort through drawers, you can look through closets, you can find objects in the the medicine cabinet in the bathroom, all of this kind of thing. Um, And the objects go into an inventory. If you cursor up to the top of the screen, the inventory opens, you can... Pick up an object and then drag it onto another object, or drag it into the screen. At which point, uh, interactions occur. So you can combine objects. You can combine objects and then move them back into the scene. Time freezes when you open that menu, uh, which is kind of useful in a time loop game. You don't want to be kind of fumbling around with uh, objects and wasting your precious seconds. But given the fact that you're doing this on a controller, it's extremely cumbersome. It slows things right down. It feels very imprecise. And so that, that's a that's a first frustration. A first frustration of the game is the controls. But I kind of put that to one side and thought, I'm going to give this game a fair shake. I've been really looking forward to this one. I've been really excited about it. And for the first few loops of the game, I was pretty into it, actually. I felt like I was making some pretty solid progress. I was navigating uh, dialogue options and trying to... Uh, trigger dialogue that would kind of change the course of this loop. But by the third or fourth uh, loop, I had kind of started feeling a little impatient, like a simmering sense of impatience, that I kind of knew what needed to happen, but that the process to get me there felt a little fiddly, Um, a little like um, I was going to have to do the exact right thing at the exact right time, Um, in a way that felt um, kind of, uh, what's the word, Um, kind of didactic or something like that. Like, progress in the game is basically to figure out a sequence of events where you're going to use an object with a person in combination with dialogue, and then you have to execute it with the clock ticking. Um, And the fact that the clock is ticking it kind of discourages um, experimentation in a way because you know that you're going to have to go through those first lines of dialogue again and again and again. You're going to have to go through the home invasion with its kind of grisly conclusion again and again and again. And so the, the minutes that you have, you kind of want to get it right and progress the story. And if on a, on a certain loop you kind of fail to do so, it kind of feels like a wasted loop. It's like you didn't learn anything, you didn't move anything forward, and you're just going to have to go through it again, try out some other stuff. And I think that for a certain type of game player, that might be a really fun challenge. The kind of the idea of turning the the Rubik's Cube and trying out every item with every other item might, and trying to use your ingenuity, actually, to kind of employ your uh, problem-solving skills with this very tight environment and this very set number of objects to try and get the outcomes that you're after. But pretty quickly, I would say frustration took root with me. I felt that the puzzles were really counterintuitive. Like, some of the puzzle solutions... I ended up playing with a guide, I would say, from about maybe a third of the way into this game. Um, I started playing with a guide. I thought, I'm, I'm done with these, these puzzles but I do want to see the end of the story. I thought about watching a video um, of someone else playing it, because that might be fun, but I decided that I wanted to play it myself, even if that meant using a guide, and so I put a guide to one side, and I actually just used the guide for the rest of the game. I I really um, was not feeling the puzzles in this game. And I can't really tell you why without going into spoilers, of course, Um, so maybe I should call the spoiler break here. We haven't really touched on the the thematic content of the game beyond the scenario. And you can't really, without going into spoilers, it unfolds quite rapidly. Um, And the puzzles um, are a big critique that I have of this game. So perhaps I'll call an early spoiler break here at the 20 minute mark. Um, For those of you who want to dip out here, I will say that I don't recommend this game at all. I actually really, um, I went from being intrigued but thinking it had some rough edges... ...to becoming incredibly frustrated um, and kind of angry with the the design of this game. Um, I found it to be very, very tedious to play... ...and ill-conceived, generally, in terms of the gameplay and puzzles. So it's not a recommendation from me. Um, There are some other things that bug me as well. The animations are really bad. The characters clip through each other, and they clip through the walls. They kind of... When you talk to someone... They kind of turn awkwardly and stand still for a second before the dialogue triggers. Um, there is a kiss when you first walk into the apartment between you and your wife, and it's like it's like um, when you were a kid and you had like an, a he-man and a she-ra and you kind of push them together to try and make them look like they're kissing. Um, that's the quality of the animation that we're talking about here. They kind of they kind of look terrible. Um, not throughout, actually. There are some sometimes when it works. For example, there are moments when your wife will come over and lay a hand on your chest or lay a hand on your shoulder while speaking, and those are filled with emotion. There are moments when the animation is good, actually, and there are moments when the voice acting really works and really fills the characters with emotion. Um, But more often than not, I would say that the, the character models look like mannequins, Um, They don't really have a lot of humanity in them. They're kind of awkwardly clunking into each other and walking through each other. And that's true of the voice acting too, actually. Despite some excellent performances, the editing does them no justice whatsoever, actually. Like, even if every line is delivered well, the way that the lines are chopped and the way that dialogue trees kind of mingle together mean that... Some conversation lines have a kind of a sequential heightening of emotion that goes on. For example, if you get into an argument or say something provocative, like your wife's voice will uh, quite correctly kind of elevate and she'll become angry like her voice is shaking. But then if you change subject mid-line or mid-conversation thread and then decide that you want to talk about something else, which is necessary quite often actually, you have to dive in and out of different routes of questioning and talking, ...to progress the story in certain ways, then her voice will sink right back to the beginning... ...when you were just kind of having like a chill, loving husband-wife conversation. And so one minute she'll be shouting at you, and then within seconds she's talking to you... ...as if you're like the nicest guy in the world, and it just feels incredibly unnatural. So we have those kind of unnatural animations, we have those uh, unnatural editing of the voice acting... ...and really, really clunky puzzles... Um, and those are my three main criticisms. And when taken together, they led to a really negative experience for me in this game. So it's not a recommendation from me. But I would say that if you are interested in the premise, half the people I've seen that have played this game loved it, and half the people hated it. So it's it's really divisive. And if you're into pointing clicks, and you're into cinematic narrative-driven games, um, and even if you just have Game Pass and are curious... I would say definitely try it out. You might be one of those people for whom this game clicks. I will also mention, though, that there is some pretty dark, kind of abusive stuff in this game. It should definitely come with a trigger warning. Um, So if you are someone who is affected by that kind of content, then definitely skip it. If you are not, and you're curious to see what the fuss is about, I don't know, give it a try. And so with that said, I'm going to move on and talk spoilers. Starting off with some of those puzzles that annoyed me. Um, and thank you for listening if you're dropping out now I'll be right back So I think it was maybe the third or fourth loop when I just ran into a wall. I kind of had exhausted all of the conversation options. I had tried out using uh, objects in different ways, and I kind of couldn't get anywhere. I was thinking, I, I really don't know what to do to move this story on. And that was when I first turned to a guide. It happened pretty quickly. Um, I guess if it's a 12-minute loop, that's in the first hour, even. Um... And it turned out, from looking at this guide, and this is the part that starts to touch on why this game has had such a hard time when it comes to the lack of trigger warnings. So I'm going to talk about some things that aren't that pleasant here. Um, It turned out that what I was supposed to do in this uh, time loop, in order to move the story on, was that I was supposed to come into the apartment. um, Before my wife left the bathroom, I was supposed to sneak into a closet, close the door... And then basically just watch, watch um, without letting her know that I was there. Let the home intruder arrive and kill her, um, and without saying anything, without emerging from the closet, without trying to save her. Um, and when I read this in the guide, I was a little taken aback. Um, it's not something that I feel like, um, if I were role-playing this game, it's not something that would even occur to me as an option. Is Uh, watch your wife die at the hands of a home invader, it felt awful. Um, And it left me with a really kind of rotten feeling in in the pit of my stomach, actually, uh, playing through that loop. Um, So I kind of put that to one side, and I was like, okay, well, that was gross. Um, Let's move on, and let's see if we can continue with this game. Um, And pretty soon, um, I realized that from reading the guide, the next thing that you had to do to progress the loop was to drug your wife by putting sleeping pills into a glass of water, giving it to her. Um, she suddenly feels very tired and has to go to bed. And so you kind of non-consensually drugged your wife with sleeping pills, um, for some reason, because you think this will be a great idea and that the, you can then hide in the closet and the burglar will come in. Um, but there is more to it than that. Even, despite the extremely distasteful, um, and I don't know. I mean, you can include these kind of elements in a plot if they are done to uh, with a certain degree of finesse and quality, um, and pre- preferably with trigger warnings for God's sake. Um, but in this game, they were not done with any finesse. They were they felt really, really raw and 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 awful. They just felt wrong. It felt wrong in this game. It really didn't feel good to me. And even given that stuff, when you've drugged your wife and she's gone off to bed, you're supposed to have clicked on a light switch and she's clicked it off again. And the second time that it clicks on, it electrocutes the burglar and he falls down. And that's when you really have a breakthrough with the story. You get to question him and find out what his motivations are for being there and all of that kind of stuff. And so you have this kind of puzzle sequence chain where you're supposed to have picked up both of the mugs in the house to stop your wife from drinking water, because if she has a drink of water, she won't accept your sleeping pill water, um, as if there's no other glass in the house that she could use. Um, really, really improbable again, just some some lame point-and-click bullshit right there. And then you have to do the, the light switch in a certain way, so that it will electrocute the burglar, which means you have to have flicked the light switch on off, and on again, to know that it's about to give someone electric shock, which starts to veer into the territory of um, just some, some weird OCD shit. Like, um, it's not the kind of thing that you do in a game. If a light switch works, then a light switch works. And it, it does spark, and your wife does remark on it. Um, but switching it on, off, and on again to discover that it's kind of about to shock someone just felt so strange to me. And so puzzles like this, like watching your wife die drugging her for, for no apparent reason. Like, I can't see why you would do that in the game. It's just a very, very strange veer of a uh, puzzle-based storytelling that wouldn't have occurred to me ever. Like, when I found the sleeping pills, I was, of course, aware that they're probably gonna be useful for something. Maybe you can drug the, the, the burglar guy. Maybe you can kind of uh, pacify him somehow. But using them on your wife to try and lure him through into the bedroom... Um, just, just so bad. Um, and that, that kind of continues and exacerbates more and more as the game progresses. You find yourself actually having to play as just this kind of weird, abusive douchebag of a character. Uh, and you're forced to do so, which just left a very, very bad taste in my mouth. Um, I found the puzzles to be horrible... I found the tone of the game to be horrible, Um, and I was kind of happy when it was over. There is a final twist in it that is just truly bizarre uh, decision-making when it comes to the storytelling, where it turns out that it was all a dream, um, and that you're kind of living this situation in your mind to deal with some kind of trauma. Um, It's a subject that could have been interesting, but is not here. Um, It's very, very clumsy, very very badly handled. And I was left thinking, thank God that is over, and wanting to dropkick this game into the Fjord. So this is one of the worst games that I've played this year for many reasons. Um, I really, really didn't like it. And, I mean, when I listen to podcasts myself, I don't like to listen to people moaning about games. I don't like to listen to people kind of harping on games. Um, But I felt that in this case, it was worth giving a bad review. I think this is only ever the, the second bad review that has been on the show. I remember giving a pretty stinking review to Cultist Simulator, but 12 Minutes is the worst game that I've played this year, probably. Um, So I felt like it was worth going over these points, and sorry that it was such a bad review. I hope it wasn't a boring listen. That's 12 Minutes. So that was 12 minutes. Uh, sorry for the super negative review. If you got this far, I hope you enjoyed hearing the show, even if it was a bad review. It's important to be honest about games. It's important to be level about games um, and not build them up when they're they're not good. Um, and I try to be really honest here. I do try and pick games that I want to champion. Generally, I think it's a more useful uh, way to spend time and a more appealing format for a show to be a, a show that champions games and lifts games up, but every now and then a game comes along that seems great, um, sucks me into some degree, and then uh, needs to be talked about in in this kind of way, and 12 Minutes was one of those. But next week I'll be back with another game review. Maybe it'll be Griftlands. I did actually get to playing the second character campaign as Rook, um, and I'm really enjoying it so far. That game is still growing on me. I'm a big fan of Griftlands, um, and I've got a lot of other games on the boil as well and on the back burner. So thank you very much for listening, thanks for being here. This was Gaming in the Wild. You can find me online on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and Twitch at Gaming in the Wild. You're also incredibly welcome to come along to Patreon and support the show at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. I recently used some of the proceeds from Patreon to purchase uh, gaminginthewild.com which now redirects to a page where you can find all of the links to the different podcast services, where the the podcast is, and to the various social media presences. So gamingintheworld.com is a great place to find all of those links to Patreon, to Twitter, etc. Um, And thanks to all my patrons for helping that happen. Um, Another thing that you can do that is very helpful if you happen to be listening to this show on an Apple device is to drop a five-star review on the podcast and maybe even punch in a couple words that helps people to find the show it helps the search algorithm so when people are searching for video games podcasts they will find gaming in the wild so that's really really helpful to you actually if you don't fancy doing patreon that's another way that you can show appreciation and support for the show so thanks very much for listening i'll be back next week take care of yourselves and each other goodbye for now